Today we're reading from the book of Matthew, and we have ushers in the aisle. They have Bibles for you. If you don't have one in your hand and you'd like to have one, please just reach out to them. And we're going to be in Matthew, the third chapter. And if you have one of those Bibles, that's page 808. I hope I read that right. I don't have my glasses on. So Matthew, the third chapter, starting with the 13th verse. This is about the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this place, for this church. Thank you for all the people who are here today. We ask a special blessing for our Pastor Mike. We ask, Lord, that he speak directly from your word and share the words that your spirit has placed in his heart. May we all be receptive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. You can have a seat. It's so good to be here today. Um, as it's been said before, my name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. It's such a cool gig to get to be the pastor here at this church. Uh, all of my favorite people are, are here. They're hanging out. It's so good, and I'm so glad uh, that I get to do it. And if you ever want to do this job, like if you want to like if you want to be a pastor, we're about that. We're about like making churches. And so uh, if that's you, come talk to me. Some This morning, somebody just came up to me and said, hey, I want to be on the sound team. And I was like, oh, that's that's fantastic. You need to talk to Mike uh, and he can or talk to Matt and he can help you get on the sound team. And if you're here and you're like, I'd like to plan a church, I'd love to talk to you. I uh, would love to do that. So if we've never met before, uh, I'm going to be out in the courtyard. I'd love to shake your hand, fist bump, hug, whatever you're into. Uh, and if you're listening in online, uh, it, that'd be great. Send me a text, 602-763-3331. Love to connect with you uh, this week. So here is what I believe. This is it. If you wonder, like, what, what is it that Mike believes? I, I, there's lots of things, but this is the thing that I believe that's, that is, that is like kind of central in my life. Here's what I believe. I believe that if people who do not know Jesus could get to know Jesus, they would want him. They would want to believe in him. They would want to be saved by him. If people who don't know Jesus could look past whatever they think Jesus is, whatever they think Christianity is, if they could just get to know Jesus, they would want to be around Jesus. I believe that with all of my heart. If they could just get to know Jesus, they'd want him. And I believe that if people who know Jesus really get to know Jesus, they would want to tell everybody they ever meet about Jesus. This is what's going to happen in a little while today. A little girl's going to get baptized. And I said, what do you, what do you want to do now that you're going to get baptized? She goes, I want to tell everybody in the whole world about Jesus. This little girl is five years 
old, and this is what she wants to do. She wants to go out and tell everybody in the whole world about Jesus. I don't know how she's going to get all these places, but like Brian just said, when you make a church, these things can happen. She'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get her into all the world and tell all the people about Jesus, which is fantastic because that's what Jesus told us to do. This is the thing that's so amazing to me. If you and I had a friend that had literally died for us, had literally died for us, and then three days later walked right out of the tomb and was like, hey, I'm alive, we would walk around telling everybody about that. Like if we had a friend named Joe who died for us, like Joe took a bullet for us, and then he died, and we buried him, and we had a funeral, and it was very, very sad, and he died, and then three days later, Joe walked up out of the grave. We would walk around talking about this all the time. It'd be like, hey, my name's Mike. Have I, have I told you about my friend Joe? Joe literally died for me, and then three days later, he came back from life, and that's what Jesus did, and I believe if we realize that, if we recognize that enough, we would start every conversation like that. We start conversations in the goofiest ways of, as Christians. Hey man, how you doing? What's your name? What's your major? What do you do for a living? Like, d- just get to the big deal. Do you know Jesus? Because like, he saved me. It's fantastic. I believe if we know Jesus, we would do that. And because I believe these two things so much, because I believe that if you just knew Jesus, you would want him. And if you really knew Jesus, you'd want to tell people about him. If, because of that, we are, we're doing this thing as a church. We're spending the next several weeks leading up to Easter, reading through the book of Matthew. We're just going through Matthew. We, we, we handed out these little uh, these, these resurrection uh, uh, books, these resurrection uh, uh, bookmarks. And we're asking, as we're just reading through Matthew, two questions. What does this text tell me about Jesus? And what does this text mean in my life? Every day, we're just reading a section of this. And like many of you, my family and I, we started on this on Wednesday, and we're just reading through it. The girls are writing little notes uh, in their scripture journals, um, and and Penny and I are are reading through these and writing little notes, and we're doing all these things. And if you haven't gotten one of these books, we'd love to give one to you. They're out in the lobby. Uh, We can do that. And so on Sunday, Sunday, we're doing the same thing. We are just going through these different stories of Jesus's life. We're just picking different stories of Jesus's life. Uh, We're going to do this on all the Sundays that lead up to Easter. We're going to do this on Good Friday at 6 o'clock clock. There it is. Did you just hear the spoiler? Good Friday, six o'clock. We're going to meet right here on Friday. It's going to be so good. And we're just looking at this text in Matthew and asking us, what does this text tell me about Jesus? Like literally, what kind of person is Jesus? What did he say? What did he do? Who is he? And then also, what does this text mean for my life now? So that is where we're going to be. That's where we're going to be at in this, in this series, where you're going to go through this as we start to prepare to celebrate Easter. We're going to spend time together preparing to celebrate Easter. On Easter morning, we're going to gather here and we're going to celebrate the greatest miracle that's ever happened. We're going to celebrate the greatest news that ever has been, that Jesus has defeated Satan's sin and death, that he literally walked right out of the grave, that we'll get together and be able to say he is risen, he is risen indeed, and we are spending time getting ready for that. That's what we're doing together and it's very good. And so that's what we're going to be doing today as we look, uh, as we start this series by looking at Jesus' baptism. But first, a story. This isn't a preacher's story. This one's true. Preachers sometimes make up stories or we, 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 we tweak stories a little bit to make them more interesting. We'll do that from time to time, but this one is true. Uh, the year was 1997. I wish Natalie would drop a beat, but I, I, I can't rhyme, so she probably won't. The year was 1997. I had just played the first football game of my senior year of high school. This was a special game because it was my first game back after, uh, after a knee surgery in the spring. I'd spent all spring and, and all summer rehabbing my knee, and I'd missed the first couple of games, and so this was the first game back. And I was so excited when I got home because I had played well. It was my first game back, and I'd played well. Things were going good. My knee had held up, and I was excited about what it meant 
meant for my senior season. And I, as I walked into the house, I was excited to talk to people about it. I was hoping like my parents would still be awake or my brother might be awake and we would be able to talk about the game. And when I walked into the house, it was dark because everybody had gone to sleep. And so I grabbed a snack and I walked into my room. And when I opened the bedroom door, there was something on my bed. There was a note. There was a note from my stepfather. And this was peculiar for two reasons. I found this note here on my bed. It's peculiar for two reasons. Number one, my stepdad was not, was, was, was not a particularly affectionate man. He was what you might call a hard man. He wasn't uh, the kind of person that would tell you good job very often. He was very, very strict. He was very, very big on discipline and very, very light on love. And in the 10 years that my mom had been married to him, he had never once written me a note. And so this was peculiar to find this note. And number two reason it was peculiar is because we had a strained relationship. We had a very, very strained relationship because in those 10 years of being his stepson, I mostly tried to do two things with him. The first was stay away from him out of fear of getting into trouble or the second was trying desperately to earn his approval. That's where I spent my childhood. He just trying to stay away from trouble, but, but, but when opportunity came up trying to earn his approval, and so he had left me this note, and so I sat down on my bed that night in quiet, and I read the note, and this is what it said. It said, you played well tonight. I'm proud of you. Tonight you were every bit my son. I love you. Love, Dell." I sat there on the, edge of a, on, on the edge of my bed that night and I cried because in that note was everything I had been trying to earn for 10 years. In that note was everything I had been yearning for for 10 years. I had seen my stepdad interact with my stepbrothers and my stepsister and I always felt like if I could do well enough, maybe he could think of me like he thought of them. And in my mind on that night, I had achieved it. I had in my mind earned his approval. I had earned him claiming me as one of his own, and most importantly, I felt like I had finally earned his love. You see, at this time in my life, I was not a Christian. I, I, I wasn't a Christian, and which is just to say that I hadn't yet believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and because of that, I had a really distorted view of what love was. As a 17-year-old, in my mind, love was something that had to be earned. It was the product of a transaction. So that night I had played well, and what I gained from my playing well was this love. It was the love of this man that I was, that I was longing for. I had a really distorted view of love at the time, and when I became a Christian, all of that changed. When I became a Christian, a man named Brian Brubaker started to disciple me, and he asked me to read the Bible, and he asked me to start by reading Matthew, which is why I have such an affection for this book. He said, I just want you to read this book, and I want you to get to know Jesus better. And I remember the day that I encountered chapter 3 and our text today. And when I saw our text today for the first time in my life, I saw love, specifically the love of the Father in a very different way. I can honestly say that, I, that if I could, if I could pick any spot in the world, any time in history to go visit, I would want to go visit Jesus' baptism. This is where I would love to go. If they were just like a time machine, like if, if, if Elon Musk like just turns those Teslas into a time machine, I'm going to get one just so I can go to Jesus' baptism. I want to be there on that day. I want to be there and watch this scene unfold where we learn something so amazing about who Jesus is. You see, our text today tells everybody 
and for all time something so important about who Jesus is. And I want us to get this. And so here is our big idea today. This is what we learn in today's text. Jesus is loved by, claimed by, and pleasing to God. If you wonder what are we going to learn about Jesus today, we are going to learn that Jesus is loved by, claimed by, and pleasing to God. And so let's get into this text and start to unpack this story. We'll start at the beginning, verse 13 through 15. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you Come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. This is a whole sermon. We could preach a whole sermon here about the interaction between Jesus and John, but we'll sum it up like this Jesus has decided to get baptized, and John, his cousin, has been baptizing people in the Jordan River. So Jesus comes to John and says, Hey, will you baptize me? And John doesn't feel right doing it. He doesn't feel like qualified to do it. Uh, in, in other gospel accounts, John will say things like, I'm not fit to like tie your shoes, man. Like, I, I can't baptize you. You're Jesus. I can't be baptizing you. And as Christians who are following Jesus, we, we, we could understand this. I mean, this would be such a big deal for Jesus to walk up to somebody and say, would you baptize me? But John relents and he agrees to go do it. And so one of the things that we see as Christians is that one of the first places that we should follow Jesus is into the water and also be baptized. Later this morning, when this little girl gets into this water, this water won't save her because Jesus already did that, but she is going to follow him. She is going to be obedient to follow him and get baptized. If you are a Christian, someone who has been saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and you have not been baptized, and you wonder if you should get baptized, the answer is yes. And I'd love to talk to you about that. We can do that after the service. So Jesus has asked John to baptize him, and according to our text, John agrees. So Jesus goes into the water with John, and then it gets more more amazing. This is just going to keep getting more amazing. Listen to this. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, so he goes under the water, and when he was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. He comes up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So Jesus goes down into the water, and as he comes up, something fantastic happens. The heavens are opened. God literally rips open the heavens. Jesus comes up out of the water, and God God like rips open the heaven. Can you see, you see why I want to go here? This would be so cool. Come on, Musk, make that thing. Anyways, it would be so cool just to go and see this. Jesus comes out of the way and God rips open heaven. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is descending down on Jesus like a dove and it rests on him. This is so amazing. Can you see it? It's just fantastic. If you are new to church or even new to Christianity, you might be kind of unfamiliar that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three parts of God are in this scene. We see the son coming up out of the water we see the father rip open heaven and we see the spirit descending on him and as god the father opens up the heavens as god does this he decides to speak here's the amazing thing god hasn't even spoken yet all of this is so fantastic heaven ripping open love so much it's so beautiful and he hasn't even speak and then god is going to speak and when God speaks, he is going to speak words that would literally fill up a soul. God has ripped open the heavens and the Spirit has descended because God has something to say. God is going to say something. Now, God, who has spoken the world into existence, God, who hung every star in the sky, God, who said, let there be light, and there was, God, who has always been and will always be, has something to say. And so God speaks, and this is what he says. 
And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God has ripped open heaven to tell Jesus and everyone and for all times, this is my son. This is Jesus. He is my son. This is him. And I love him. This is my son and I love him. This is my son, Jesus, and I love him. And if you wonder how I feel about him, I am well pleased. This is so good and we're all going to unpack these statements in a little bit, but I want us to be on the same page about something here. Before we start to unpack this, how fantastic this is, how amazing it is to hear those words from God, I want us to unpack something, but I want us to understand something here. From a ministry perspective, Jesus really hasn't done anything yet. Jesus hasn't accomplished anything yet. Jesus hasn't done anything that that we're going to see as we read through the book of Matthew. He hasn't really done anything yet. If you've been reading along in our Matthew challenge, if you've been just reading along, you've encountered Jesus' genealogy. You've you've read so far for these first couple of days about the visit of the Magi and and the escape to Egypt. But you'll notice Jesus hasn't really done all of the things that we are going to spend so many days in the next 35 days learning about. Jesus has not called any disciples. He hasn't faced his temptation in the desert. He hasn't turned water into wine. He hasn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't healed anyone. Jesus hasn't restored anyone's eyesight. Jesus hasn't brought anyone back from the dead. Jesus hasn't walked on water, died on the cross, or defeated that death by walking back out of the grave. Heck, Jesus hasn't even played a decent football game after rehabbing his knee. Jesus really hasn't done much of anything yet. So knowing that, And being aware of that makes God's action of ripping heaven open to share these words so much more powerful. And it makes the words God speaks so much more beautiful when God looks at His Son that has not accomplished things yet, has not done notable things yet, and says to Him, This is my Son who I love and with whom I am well pleased. And so from these words we learn much about Jesus. Jesus is loved by God. This is my beloved. God says, I love you, Jesus. God says to everybody else that's listening in, I love him. One of the truest things about who Jesus is is that God loves him. He is completely loved. And I want us to understand this love. This is not a transactional love. This is not a conditional love. This is not a love that God has given Jesus because Jesus has played a good game or served Him well. This is a love given as a gift. It is a love given and not earned. This is love given away. And love that is given and not earned, love that is not transactional, love that is not conditional will not go away. There's no no condition by which the love was given, and so there's no condition by which the love would go away. God will love Jesus as He starts His ministry. God will love Jesus as He faces good days and as He faces hard days. God will love Jesus on this day because Jesus is loved by God, and that love is not contingent on Jesus' accomplishments. What a beautiful kind of love it is to be loved in an unconditional, uncontingent way where you don't have to transact anything to get it. That is the way that God loves Jesus. And so when God rips open heaven and says, I love you, it is simply because of who Jesus is. 
He's choosing to love him. Church, I want us to know that Jesus is claimed by God. God says, this is my son. This is my son. God says, this is my son. This is my boy. If you wonder who he is to me, this is my son. I claim him as mine, and there is nothing that can ever change that. I don't know what it's like for moms because I've never been one, but there's something that dads know. There's a moment, there's a moment where your child becomes your child. For me, it happened on the first day that James was a baby. He was a baby and he was in the hospital. Penny had carried him and, and done all that stuff. And you know, I was around, you know, I, I would bring snacks and everything like that. I didn't bring much to the table at that point. But there was a point during the day where Penny's resting and James was laying on my chest. And I knew in that moment we were just laying there and he was asleep on my chest. And I knew in that moment, this is my son. This is my boy. And there's nothing ever that I wouldn't do for him. And there's nothing that he could ever do that would change the fact that he's my son. I knew in that moment that I would do anything for him. If I could spare him pain, I would do it. If I could teach him anything, I would. And in that moment, I knew the lengths that I would be willing to go to love and protect that boy. If you've held your son or your daughter like that on your chest, you know that feeling. This is my son. This is my daughter. As a matter of fact, a little bit later on that evening, that later on that evening, he was crying, like uncontrollably crying. We couldn't get him to stop. And, and of course, I didn't stop loving him. I was just like, that's my son. He's just crying a lot. And he's, he's crying and crying and crying for like two hours. He won't stop crying. And so we were trying different stuff, and they, they told us to try to swaddle him and just let him soothe himself in the swaddle. And I'm, I'm like standing off by the side, like watching him, and he's over there crying, and Penny's trying to rest, and he won't stop crying. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice, and this guy, this like loud voice comes from the hallway, hallway and says, hey, can somebody shut that kid up? And I jumped, man. I, ju like, I jumped over to go grab this guy. I don't know what I was going to do to him. It turns out it was the OB, and he was just joking. But I was like, that's my son. Like, oh, hey, doc, sorry, I didn't know. Uh, but, but like, that's how it happens. So when my kids are about to do something big or when they have gotten in trouble, I make a point of saying, you are my son or you are my daughter and I love you. I've said that to them since they were little because there is power in claiming someone. God says to Jesus, you are mine. And he says to all the people that are watching, this is my son. He claims him. God says, I'm claiming him. This is my son, Jesus claimed, Jesus is claimed by God and not because Jesus has earned it. And here's the next thing that God says about Jesus that day. Jesus is pleasing to God. He says, with whom I am well pleased. God says, I am pleased with Jesus. And this might be the most amazing thing about Jesus in this passage because God being pleased with Jesus has nothing to do with his accomplishments. God is simply pleased with Jesus because of who he is like a dad or a grandpa holding a baby and smiling not because of what that baby is doing but because of who that baby is and God is pleased with Jesus like that Jesus is pleasing to his father and he's pleasing simply because of who he is and so this is fantastic this is unbelievable for Jesus. You can imagine what it would be like. There's not a man in the room that wouldn't want his father to talk about him like this. There's not a man in the room that wouldn't crave this from his father. And fathers, if you are in the room and you have sons or daughters, speak to them like this. And you'll speak so much life into them when you tell them, I love you. 
and you're my son, you're my daughter, and I'm pleased with you. It's so fantastic. This is fantastic. But you could say, this is great for Jesus, but what does it mean for me? It seems great for Jesus. We could all see that like, for, for sure. Jesus, that must have been so awesome for you, for your, for your father to talk to you like that. That must have been so fantastic. But, but what does it mean for me? You could think, this is great for Jesus, but I'm not sure what this has to do with my life. Or you could think, this is great for Jesus, but where is my reason to sing? What, is, what do I have to be joyful about this morning? But like I said, we're looking at this text and asking not just what can we know about Jesus, but what does this mean for my life? You see, there's a misconception that some people have about God. There's a misconception that people have about God that will say something like, maybe if I do things right, God could love me. There's a misconception that will say that kind of thing. Like, if I just pray enough, maybe God could accept me. Maybe if I read my Bible enough, God would want me. Maybe if I serve enough or give enough or try enough, or could, I could do something to please God. A misconception that tries to earn God's love like a 17-year-old tries to earn his stepfather's. But I want you to know it's not like this with God at all. It's not like that at all with God. So here is your reason to sing. If you've been listening in and been wondering, what does this have to do with me? This is the part that it has to do with you. Here is your reason to sing. God loves you. If you remember nothing else that I said on this morning, on this stage, at this time, you know this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. This is what it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I want us to get this. God loves us before we do anything. The Scripture says God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And then, if you believe in that, you could have eternal life. But that doesn't negate the fact that God loves you enough to have already done it. God has already done it. He's already given you His Son. He has already sacrificed Jesus for you. God loves you that much. God loves you so much that He sent Jesus down here. God loves you. And I know that there are people sitting in this room that are not Christians yet. And I know that there are people listening in that are not Christians yet. And you might say, well, I just don't believe it. I just can't believe that God would love me that much. And I want you to know that God already did everything He ever needs to do to prove His love for you when He sent His Son down here to die for you. And whether or not you believe it doesn't make it any less true. God loves you. I want you to know whoever you are and wherever you are and whatever you are, you are loved by God. He loves you so much because God loves you. He sent Jesus down here to rescue you. And I needed rescued because we're sinners. We're sinners. We sin all the time. And that sin separates us from God. And God wanted a way to make us be able to come back to Him. To be close to Him again. And so He sent Jesus down here. And we'll learn over the next 40 days that Jesus lived the life that we never could. He died the death that we deserve. And He defeated that death so that we could spend eternity with Him. But God loves you. That's true, and if you believe that, you're a Christian. And I want you to know this. In Jesus, God claims you as sons and daughters. So God loves you. 
And when you believe in Jesus, he claims you as his sons and daughters. Listen to this, Romans 8, 14 through 17. One of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, Romans 8. But this is what it says here. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You are a child of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. If you are a Christian, one of the things that is the truest about you is that you are God's kid. You are a son or daughter of the one true King. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You are one of God's kids. You have been adopted into the family. If you are unaware of adoption and how it works, this is how it works. I have three children, two by birth and one by adoption. And the one that is adopted is every bit my daughter. She is every bit as much my daughter as the one that came by birth. And so if you have been adopted into God's family as a good father, he is your father. You are his child and he loves you in an unconditional way. In a way where he would claim you and say, this is my kid. In a way where he would rip open heaven to say, yes, this is my son. Yes, this is my daughter. Some of us weren't blessed to have amazing parents. I get that. And so sometimes when we think about fathers, we, we imagine our own fathers and we think, well, if God's like that, like, I don't know that I want him. But God's like that perfect father that loves you no matter what, that claims you all the time, who is pleased with you. When you believe in Jesus, you never have to wonder, where do I belong Where do I go for belonging? Because when you believe in Jesus, you are God's kid and you will be His forever. And as if that were not enough, as if that were not enough, in Jesus you are pleasing to God. In Jesus, you are pleasing to God. Jesus, Because of Jesus, God can look at you and say, I'm so pleased with you. God can look at you and say, I'm so pleased with you. This is what it says in Romans 8, 8, 9. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It says, those who are, not, who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not like that anymore. You are different. You have been bought and paid for, and now you can be pleasing. I remember being a kid. I remember being a little kid, and I remember going to watch my stepbrother Jim play football. He was really good. I remember watching him play football, but I wasn't really watching Jim play football. What I was doing is I was watching my stepfather watching Jim play football. And I watched the way that my stepfather looked at Jim playing football, and I wanted him to look at me like that. And I remember when my stepfather would tell stories about my other stepbrother, Daryl, and how Daryl played the, the playoff game. Uh, he played the playoff game on a, on a, on a sprained ankle and how, how amazing that was. And I remember the way that Dell would talk about him and say, yeah, but Daryl, he was so tough. He, he just like toughened his way through it. And he was telling us all about this story about Daryl playing football. And I wanted that so bad. 
It was probably one of the reasons that I even played football. I was so desperate for him to look at me like he looked at them. And I want you to know you don't have to do that with God. You don't have to perform well enough for him. He is pleased with you because of Jesus. You and I are sinners, and as sinners, everything we do has our sinful fingerprints all over it. Like if you took your very, very best thing that you ever did on your very, very best day and handed it to God, it would still have your, your sinner fingerprints all over it. So you, you can't earn it, and you don't deserve it, and yet in Jesus, God can look at you and say, I'm so pleased with you. You're my boy, or you're my girl, and I love you, and I'm so pleased with you in Jesus God speaks even amongst us in a rip open heaven kind of way that says I love you you're mine and I'm pleased with you so the question this morning is simply this are you in Christ have you believed in Jesus can you accept the love that God gave you when he sent Jesus down here If you never have, you can be. You can become a Christian today. You can become a Christian. This is what it looks like. You would just admit that you're a sinner. You say, Jesus, I'm I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've done things that you don't want me to do. I've sinned against you. And if you could admit that, you could believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You could just believe in what Jesus did. The Scripture tells us that if we confess that belief with our mouth and believe it in our heart, then Jesus will save you. And so the question that I have for you this morning, church, is this. Can you believe? Can you believe? Can you believe in a God that would love you that much? Can you believe in a God that would claim you like that? Can you believe in a God that would be pleased with you? If you've never believed, I want to invite you to believe right now. But if you have believed, I want to call you to something. If you have believed, I want to call you to something. I think about what it must have been like for Jesus to come up out of the water and see the heavens ripping open and hear this voice of God speak over him. Church, I want you to imagine the voice of God speaking over you today. Saying about you, you are my son or you are my daughter and I love you. And I'm pleased with you. And I want you to leave this place and live like someone who has been loved like that, claimed like that, and is pleasing like that. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us like that. We can't even comprehend it, God. We can't comprehend this kind of unconditional love, this kind of love where we bring nothing to the table and yet you love us like that. We're thankful for your word that shares these promises and shares these truths over our lives. And if there is anybody in the room today that's never believed in this, that has never believed you could love them that much, Lord, I ask you to save them. I ask you to save them. And for those of us that have believed, Help us to walk out of here knowing these true things about ourselves. As we walk out into a broken world, help us to know these true things about us, that we are yours, claimed by you, loved by you, and pleasing to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, church, this is, uh, this is Ariana. She 
is so excited to be up here this morning. A couple of weeks ago, she sat right over here and she told me about how Jesus saved her. Uh, she told me about how Jesus loved her so much that he died on a cross for her and that she wanted to follow him for the rest of her life. She told me that she was a Christian. And so she came down here and she was talking to me because she said, I want to know more about baptism. She, she signed up for a baptism class. And while we were up here talking, she said, I don't want to get into the baptism yet because I'm nervous. She was a little bit scared about the water, right? And so this is what happened. I told her, I said, when you're ready, you come find me. You let me know when you're ready and we'll baptize you. Because I knew that Jesus had already saved her. I said, so whenever you're ready, uh, you come let me know. And so this is what happened. Last week, I walked over into our kids ministry and this little girl comes running up to me, just barreling up to me. And she said, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of the water. I'm ready to tell everybody that I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. So can we do it today? And I said, I said, well, can you wait till next week because we don't have the water filled up yet? And she said, if I have to, I'll wait one week, but that's it. And so here she is. She's here today. Um, I know you've said this before, but in front of your whole church family, can I ask you, do you believe in Jesus that he, that he came here, that he lived for you, that he died for you, and that he saved you? Yes, absolutely. And so, yes. And you told me earlier that you are going to spend your life telling everybody about that. Is that true? Fantastic. So good. All right. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to uh, have you jump in here real quick. She's been practicing baptizing herself, but she said she'd let me do it today, and I'm, I'm privileged to do it. So, all right. You're going to cross your arms there. Ready? So it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, fantastic. Good job. 